0: So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com.
1: Kind of get on the therapist couch. <laughs> Here's why I'm so fucked up. Here's all the video games I played as a kid.
0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to Backstage Gaming, dramatic takes on your favorite games. I'm Chris. And I'm Dylan. And we're here this week to do something uh, a little bit different than usual. I, I say that as if we we have a usual anymore. <laughs> There's no um,
1: consistency to this show. No, nah, but
0: uh, a new sort of episode format that I had the idea for, um, especially with the eye towards like... I don't know. I think it would be fun to try and make a point of getting guests on the show a little more regularly. Mm -hmm. Uh, The couple of times we've done that, I've really enjoyed it, and it would be something fun to do uh, more often. And the idea I had that would be fun to potentially bring on if we had a guest on who didn't have something, you know, a specialty that we wanted to delve into. somebody who was just, we think would be interesting to have a conversation with. We're going to be talking about Dylan's sort of, I think the way I pitched it was like Games, games that were influential that in our, like, development of our relationship with the media. Yeah. So not like... This is not a Dylan's five favorite games, necessarily, but this is games that were formative the for games Dylan. Games that
1: produce this freak that's talking into your ears right now. Exactly.
0: <laughs> uh, so I'm going to sort of... I don't want to say I'm going to be interviewing Dylan, because interviewing implies a skill set that I do not particularly <laughs> have. Uh, People who (laughs) are good at interviews have skills that I do not. Uh, That being said, we should probably get Sam on this show. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. (laughs) But rather, it's going to be sort of, you know, Dylan's going to be walking us through uh, his for lack of a word of a better way of putting it i'm gonna say some terrible words his development as a gamer
1: (laughs) oh god that that made me curdle a little
0: yeah it's not good uh but no genuinely like i'm i'm excited for this i'm excited to hear about uh the games that dylan thinks of as as influential and then Mm -hmm. in a couple of weeks we'll do uh we'll flip it and i'll kind of go through mine and then again this i i think this would be a fun thing to talk about with like A variety. I can think of a variety of people that I would love to hear talk about, like their absolutely uh, sort of gaming journey this way. But without uh, further ado, I am gonna just turn it over to you, Dylan. Where do you want to start off? What what is what is the earliest game on your list that you came up with?
1: The earliest game that I was obsessed with, and it's funny because it wasn't a game that I really ever played all that often. I would watch my dad play it. Was um, Super Mario Brothers two? And I, I think I've said that on a past episode before. Uh, I think we did an episode on like the kind of um, breakthrough games. Um, and this is basically just that episode, more in depth is how yeah. I'm approaching it. But Super Mario Brothers 2 was because my family, we had an NES and we had the first two Mario Brothers games. And the first Mario Brothers game is pretty straightforward, you know? It's like. Um, you you go from left to right and you get to the end of the level. You avoid Goombas and Koopas and Poopa Scoopas and Bloopas <laughs> and you know that's
0: my favorite Mario enemy. <laughs> I love when you get a Poopa Scoopa as a party member in Paper Mario. Ah, uh,
1: that lad's the best. <laughs> Keep him away from the Bow Wow. Oh my God! I'm sorry. Anyway, now um, you're
0: thinking about Link's Awakening.
1: You're <laughs> <laughs> Chain chomp Oh wait, yeah, they're called Chain Chops fuck okay well anyway yeah that's that's how you know I'm more of a Zelda player than a Mario <laughs> player i suppose but okay so anyway the, the thing about super mario brothers 2 is that it is a weird game and anyone who's played it can tell you that cuz it plays nothing like any other mario game but the thing that always kind of captivated me as a kid was there was the 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 play, the, the levels felt like actual spaces even when those spaces were liminal spaces cuz the plot of Super Mario Brothers too is like you're in a dream world and an example of that is like you can pull uh you can pull tall grass and sometimes there will be like a mushroom that you throw at people or whatever maybe a coin um but sometimes you find a magic potion that when you use opens up a portal to negative space or whatever it's called <laughs> and you just kind of like you're in a darkened version of the, the screen that you use the potion on, and usually you, you do that to find a one-up or something. Very weird. Very weird game. Uh, but, uh, you know, uh, Super Mario Brothers 2 has you entering and exiting a lot of doors. It's got um, a little bit more of a puzzle approach to platforming, where it's, it's less of a pure dexterity challenge. Sometimes you'll actually have to move blocks to create... Um, you know, a series of blocks that you can climb to to get to the next part of the level.
0: Yeah, or there's the the segments that are all about like figuring out the right route to take once you hit the P block. So yeah, that you. That's more. That, I'm thinking that, about that, Mario. That's too, a right? Super Mario World, I believe. I'm thinking but, that's World, um, right? Right.
1: But yeah, I f- I feel like it, there's a similar kind of there's a similar vibe, even if it's not the same as that. Yeah. Um <laughs> And now that I think about it, you. Super Mario Brothers 2 is also weird because I don't think you collect like 100 coins for a one-up. You collect coins for a chance to use the slot machine at the end of every level um, in the hopes of rolling three in a row and getting an extra life. (laughs) Again, really weird Mario game. Originally wasn't a Mario game. We're not going to get into that. This isn't (laughs) that type of show. (laughs) But yeah, no, I, I think so this more... I don't want to say cerebral, but I I can't think of a better term right now. This more cerebral approach to platforming was crazy to me. And then uh, the, the this is the big one though. Uh, in addition to all this like puzzle stuff, there's like a, a dig dug mechanic where like you you you're you're digging through dirt and like enemies can chase you through the dirt and you can. All right, I I can't I can't go into like all the nuances. <laughs> it's it's all all I'm really trying to say. It is so much more stuff is in that game than just here's a platform, jump on it, avoid the bad guy. And you know, there there are keys you have to find in dungeons to like bring to locked doors. And uh the the big thing that stuck out to me, and the reason why I brought up um Super Mario Brothers 2 in the first place, the thing that captivated my attention as a child was uh in like the second level, you take a key and there's like this floating kind of reminds me of the the greek comedy tragedy uh masks yeah you know the ones that we wear on our key art exactly (laughs) uh provided to you by Brendan french if you want to know uh we'll save that (laughs) for the end um but uh yeah no uh so you you pick up the key and the and like the the mask will come to life and will start chasing you and obviously that's terrifying when you're five um so you frantically leave and you're like all right i'm safe Oh no, the mask has followed me. There is continuity between what I thought were segmented levels. <laughs> I forgot about that completely. Yeah. Um, and I guess like, you know, all of these elements combined into, I guess, uh, it, it sparked a love for less than uh, platforming the adventure game genre for me. Just this idea of like, this being a world you explore um, with cohesive elements yeah. um, that follow you from place to place. That it's there's not necessarily a story to it, but there's I guess there's a story in a way you you probably know what I'm talking about, Chris, even if the listeners don't. Um, yeah, there, there's the the existence of this, like implied continuity makes
0: it feel more like like you were just saying, it makes you feel more like you're you're exploring a real place with real rules and real like consistency Yeah, in a way that, you know a mario level especially
1: at that point didn't really need to feel right so is super mario brothers 2 the best mario game on the nes absolutely not it's that's probably three (laughs) uh but is super mario brothers 2 the most interesting uh game in the trilogy i don't know but it it sunk its claws into me, so that's got to count for something, right? Yeah, it it
0: I would I would agree with the statement that it's the most interesting. I it's the one that I played the least. I did not own a copy of that growing up, but I had mm-hmm. one and three, and so the, I I'm much more familiar with those two. I'm so uh, jealous of the kids who grew up with
1: Super Mario Brothers three because that game is cracked. Oh, that game it it slaps it slaps so, <laughs> so <hard>. good. <laughs>
0: But um, I may do,
1: you know. Yeah, and
0: I and I mean, too, again. I am a sucker, and I have a real soft spot for the weird uh, Nintendo game twos on the NES. Like I am mm-hmm. Zelda big, two rules. Fuck you. I'm a fight big me. Zelda two apologist, and yeah, we've I talked about Zelda this 2 before is better too. Better than
1: Zelda one. Fuck you. Fight me.
0: Yeah, like I get why it's divisive. I get why people who are really into like the Zelda formula, especially going
1: back. <laughs> I'm about to be the most toxic Zelda fan ever, so I'm just gonna <laughs> button my lips. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was just gonna say, like, I will we'll get back. I want to get it's back a to good T- NES game. It's just not a good Zelda game. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> Brother the Wild should have just been it. <laughs> i turned into i turned into a parody (laughs) of here. (laughs) anyway yeah like we we could do a whole episode on weird nintendo sequels that get more flack than they deserve possibly should (laughs) but that that would be a fun one honestly what what is what is the next game on your list where did where did your like what was the next game after uh mario 2 that really like sunk
1: its fangs into you ironically it's another two it is pokemon 2 or pokemon gen 2 or pokemon gold hell Um, yeah yeah like that's a that's a big we're the same boy (laughs) (sighs) i mean what is there to say about pokemon generation 2 quite a bit but i I feel like i got to do this concisely (laughs) um so yeah i mean like pokemon uh gen one uh, red and blue come out and they're you know a huge massive fucking success it's almost like pokemon's one of the biggest fucking franchises of the century um (laughs) i don't know why that was the energy i had (laughs) but i think my brother i'm gonna i'm gonna blame him i don't even care if it's not his fault my brother lost our copy of pokemon red so (laughs) rip (laughs) (laughs) uh while on the family trip coincidentally he also lost my copy of fire emblem Uh, while on a trip to Disney World. This has nothing to do with the episode. I just feel like calling him out. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, okay. So I I didn't quite grow up with uh, Pokemon Gen 1 like a lot of other people my age and slightly older. Probably considerably older. Pokemon had a very wide demographic, I learned. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I I watched the TV show, and, you know, uh, (laughs) to my parents' distress, I loved the TV show. Uh, mom, dad, if you're listening to this, uh, I'm not sorry for having you take us to those movies. They rocked, (laughs) (laughs) but, uh, yeah. So, uh, when I, when I finally got Pokemon gold, I think I had this kind of epiphany where I'm like, okay, so more so than super Mario brothers two, this is like an entire world I'm exploring with characters and, um, objectives to use the acting term. Uh, and obstacles, even. Um, I, I mean, you know, Super Mario Brothers two had obstacles, but like, I'm I'm talking even something as mundane as, and this is Gen one, but I can't think of anything like this in Gen two off the top of my head. Just Grandpa's angry because he hasn't had his coffee, which is like, you don't do anything to solve that problem. You just go the route that you're supposed to go, and he moves because you trigger the flag. But like, just the fact that like the obstacles were characters with a uh, personality really did a lot to kind of pull especially a seven seven seven-year-old into the fiction of this world that i'm exploring um and then on top of that like gen 2's just fucking cracked uh (laughs) the fucking a real time day night system that that stuff (laughs) and like the 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 calendar was the calendar aspect in the it, it wasn't a calendar it was uh like, there were there were events that would trigger based on what day of the week it was. That's what I was thinking so of, like yes. So, like, the, the, uh, there's, like, a national park in that game um, that has, like, a bug-catching contest um, on Wednesdays, I want to say. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's an event at Mount Moon uh, with, like, Clefairies, and I, I can't remember what day it was. I, I would say Monday, because that makes sense in my mind. Like, Mondays at night, you know, in the evening— um, and Pokemon Pokemon Gold is like for me was like such a summer vacation game, you know, where it's like, you know, you're not at school, um, you're probably going to summer camp. You you can just pull out your Game Boy uh, while on the bus ride, or maybe you're at the uh, public swimming pool and it's adult swim, so you're killing time waiting to go back in the pool yeah. by um, just kind of exploring these areas. So. When I was a kid, it almost felt like living a double life, as cheesy as that might sound. Um But you know, you I I think that kind I'm of I'm just speaks thinking to- of that that fucking like
0: they don't know I'm X meme of the guy standing <laughs> in the corner at the party, but it's just they don't they know don't I'm know a Pokemon. I'm the Pokemon Master. Champion. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, like um, I I think that the poke the early Pokemon games, and especially this generation, really set what I want out of an open world game. Absolutely. And like what open world games largely are has, has kind of shifted. Mm-hmm. Uh, j- broadly speaking, like the Ubisoft open world game model is not the, the early Pokemon open world game model. Absolutely they both have their not. strengths. Yeah. But there is something about the, that just like there's stuff to do that kind of changes day to day. And you're just kind you have to kind of figure it out. Mm hmm. And, like, get the, the diegetic clues by talking to the characters and figuring out what to do. Like, that is what I really vibe with in open world games or Metroidvania-style mm-hmm. games. And well, man, I think Pokemon there's... Oh, Pokemon yeah, Gen 2 I...
1: owns. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think there's a pointed difference between... Because, like, when, when I think about uh, Pokemon... Actually, when I think about, like, most RPGs... Japanese RPGs in particular, for Xenoblade Chronicles came out, I, I usually think of them more as adventure games. Yeah, like, RPGs have adventure game world design, whereas uh, Xenoblade Chronicles, and really I think Xenoblade Chronicles is the only one that really does that. Final Fantasy XV did that, but that's just one game in a series that changes its formula every title. Those are more open-world RPGs. Um, and then, of course, you have uh, Western RPGs, like, you know, Elder Scrolls has always been uh open world to my knowledge. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean like
0: even even the first Elder Scrolls games were were following sort of the uh like early Fallout, Baldur's Gate uh yeah. what I think now are called CRPGs, classic RPGs uh, kind of computer RPGs was what I thought it meant, but it could
1: be it could be classic RPGs what, whatever well. it is. I I have no idea what that acronym stands for. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah, but I, I think like I don't know, man. There's there's also just something really comfy about Pokemon. Um, I oh, love yeah. the the Game Boy color palette. Um, and I'm glad that's seeing a resurgence. It's weird that the the 30 year cycle has become the 20 year cycle for nerds. Um, yeah, <laughs> nerd culture. Try guns back. Aa. <laughs> <laughs> God, is, is there anything else I need to say about uh yeah, the fact that they fucking just like took like an abridged version of the world from the first game and stitched it onto the back half of the of that, Gen 2? On, on
0: the topic of what you were saying about like spaces in Mario 2 being made to like, you know, in a fairly rudimentary way, but like still effective considering it was the fucking NES, like yeah. they they were able to imply continuity holy cow the discovery of like oh you can just go back to the kanto region and like Mm -hmm. yeah it's a little smaller than it was but also the world from this whole other game is just like essentially proto dlc once you finish the the main game it is
1: on cartridge dlc it does not get cooler
0: than that absolutely bonkers like talk about making
1: this this world feel like a continuous place it's like hey look that's misty over there Uh uh-oh she's dating a total weenie time to challenge (laughs) her at the gym like you know it's it's a it's you know like i i i know that people have gone back to and like have criticized it for being half-baked but also consider it exists at all (laughs) like that's gotta count for something you can fight the character you play as from the first game, he's a yep. total badass. He's it's just training so... in the mountains like he's fucking Ryu from Street it's Fighter. It's so fucking good. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, you can't take that away from me. I guess, I guess uh, on the subject of Red, though, that also kind of has a, a cool feeling of, like, progression and evolution, I guess. You know, um, just the idea that, like, they, they kind of talk about Red a little bit. They they allude to him throughout the game um, as like the kid who broke up Team Rocket two three yeah. years ago, whenever it was. And then you fight him, and he's the hardest. He's the hardest fight in the game. Yeah. Um, and it, when you when you take him down, it's like, oh man, my legend starts. That you know, I love that. I love it when games do that. <laughs> so fucking good. So why I'm cool with Luke in Street Fighter Six? Uh, for people who care about that, Luke's fine. Yeah. You guys are just, I don't know what's the next stop on our whirlwind tour of dylan uh baby we gotta talk about zelda oh yeah which one i um i have a a handful honestly yeah I'll, i'll try to make this quick um my first zelda game was oracle of seasons uh so the transition from pokemon gold to oracle of seasons felt like a pretty seamless one i never got that far in that game However, um, just the, the sprite work, and I was always a pretty big fantasy kid, so um, playing a game with like that world that you could fully explore, like Pokemon, but also it's fantasy and you can swing a sword around, was awesome yeah um i never got past the second dungeon feel like that's really important to talk about but um just like how we talk about continuity and uh changing the world just like the day night cycle in pokemon i loved the seasons uh system in oracle of seasons yeah um it it was just a really cool thing uh i'm kind of glossing over oracle of seasons because that's not the big one i want to talk about the big one i want to talk about is Surprisingly, not Ocarina of Time, although that is also a big one. I didn't play Majora's Mask as a kid. I don't think I would play Majora's Mask until middle school. Um, however, uh, I would go over my friend's house. Uh, his name was Bradley. He lived two doors down. Um, and I would watch him and his dad play Majora's Mask. And something about like everything I liked about Pokemon, the, the NPCs, the uh, unique environments, the towns uh the day night cycle all of that felt more visceral seeing it with like these 3D polygonal characters in this fully explorable 3D world yeah and so like you know that was kind of like the next step of like oh man i got to get in on this Majoras Mask is hard as hell to play so i actually i i did start with Ocarina of Time which is a much more um easily approachable game um it guides you a lot more the the story is a little bit more in your face which is not something I really appreciate now, but as a kid, you know, having that kind of that drama and that st- those stakes um, was always really good. Me if we're gonna talk about Ocarina of Time, the in for people who don't know, in the starting area of the Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time, your progress to basically the entire opening cutscene is like two minutes long, and it's basically talking it builds a, up a lot of drama and suspense and you're trying to figure out what's going on, what, what is happening here. Um, and your one real lead is to go to the Deku Tree, Who's been narrating this opening cutscene. However, between you and the Deku Tree is Mito. Who's kind of the schoolyard bully, basically. Just the, just the biggest ponce He's he sucks. I love him. Uh, <laughs> and you can't get to him uh, or you can't get through him until you, you, have you solve a couple requirements. I'm not going to get too deep into the design here, but um, you know, just that kind of the the idea that these obstacles can have character and personality and have a tangible relationship to the character that you're controlling. I feel like was another huge uh, building block on how I look at games and storytelling and yeah, the 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 role play element of playing video games. I suppose.
0: Yeah, it's it's not just. I have to do this
1: to get past this wall. It's this wall is shit talking me. Exactly, exactly. Uh, and I've I've always like I I love Mido. I think Mido actually even has like a a bit of a character arc in Ocarina of Time. Weirdly enough, that's that's a weird thing to say about an NPC whose entire job is to block your progress twice in the game. <laughs> but like, yeah, uh, I I I I have a half finished written video essay script. I'll get to it one day. Believe me. I believe um, in you. I'm excited <laughs> to see it. Yeah. I, I I need to commit to it, but whatever. Feel like I, I wrote down Star Fox Adventures, but I feel like it was best covered uh with what I was just talking about. Um yeah, I mean so that,
0: that game is Star Fox Adventures is such a cool, weird I don't know if I find it
1: particularly good. Um Chris, I literally beat it this past winter it is oh, really? not a good game who's gonna say i don't remember i don't know that i remember it being good but i remember thinking it was really interesting uh so here's the thing about Star Fox adventures just to talk about that real quick uh speaking as someone who like does think that was like a foundational game um for me and also has a lot of fond memories of it and even would say that i enjoyed my most recent playthrough that game has weird puzzle logic to the point where, like, I wouldn't even say it has puzzle logic. It, it Star Fox Adventures was a game made by Rare, uh, who are most known for probably their 3D platformers. Um, Banjo-Kazooie, yeah. Conker's Batch Faraday, Donkey Kong 64. Uh, also, the Donkey Kong Country games on the Super Nintendo. Uh, so, you're playing a game with Zelda-like controls, but you're collecting MacGuffins to... Zelda has, like... Items that like have multiple functions and are used to solve puzzles in a variety of ways. Star Fox Adventures has a lot of, like gives you way too many items that are all basically keys for locks. Mm. Um, and the majority of gameplay is running obstacle courses. You know, 3D Zelda was known for its uh platforming controls, and so Star Fox Adventures was like, yeah will have you run all these obstacle courses with no jump button and very uh, walky mid-air control. (laughs) So it's not not a particularly good game, but the reason why I thought it was important to mention was uh, there's something about that mixture of science fiction and fantasy to that world and that setting that really just kind of followed me for the rest of my life. (laughs) It It is. It has big Dinatopia energy in a way that I really enjoy. Oh, absolutely. Um, But even ignoring that, just like a lot of uh, the RPGs I would later play, which were not quite there yet, but a lot of the RPGs I would play would be influenced by chasing that high, but not quite Final Fantasy. Well, uh, first, before we get to that, we gotta talk about Sonic. Of course, we have to talk about Sonic. Of course, we have to talk about Sonic. Exactly. so um yeah my my first sonic game was sonic cd uh i got it for my windows 98 computer at the toys Hell r us yeah. um, god sonic cd is a good game yeah uh th- a lot of people disagree with you they're wrong um sonic <laughs> cd is probably my favorite game they're just uh, as
0: wrong I... as everyone who thinks it's pronounced <laughs> <Hydro laughs> what you City? gonna say
1: chris which one <laughs> which one are it... you committing to
0: I'm committing to it's fucking hydrocity.
1: Oh my god, thank you. All right, Hydrosity boys. <laughs> We've talked here we talked about come. this. I feel like we had, but I just had to double check. It's hydrocity. Yeah, I had to make sure you me. had to make
0: sure you didn't need to quit the podcast here and
1: now. <laughs> Chris and Dylan are no longer friends. <laughs> Rip, friendship friendship ended with Dylan. <laughs> um, but yeah, anyway. <laughs> Sorry, my brain was stuck on Hydrocity for, like, the last 10 (laughs) seconds. (laughs) Sonic CD. uh, I never got too far in Sonic CD as well. Uh, Kind of like Oracle of Seasons. However, I will say um, when it got re-released on the PS3, that's when I played a lot of it. But Sonic CD is still important to mention because, like, Star Fox Adventures, it had that kind of combination of... You know, it's almost got that, like you're a woodland creature but like you're exploring this very alien like high futuristic world uh sonic cd takes place on a celestial body called little planet that um in in the story where sonic cd takes place like it passes by this one uh part of the world uh once every allotted amount of time it's not super important Um, So you're exploring Little Planet, and you can explore it in the the past, the future, and the present. Um, And there's two different versions of the future based on if you meet these requirements to save the future. So you have the bad future, where everything is mechanical, roboticized, like pollution is being dumped into rivers and lakes. Uh, Just There's buzz saws everywhere because fuck you (laughs) and then you have the the good futures which are uh a lot more utopian in nature and uh i don't know that like i always thought that was really cool the um the fact that you have that direct input on the game um and just the the scenery in that game is so surreal and alien and wonderful um i really love it and then you know because i had sonic cd i would rent the sonic cd ova from my local video store and that kind of further solidified that my love for that aesthetic and then I got Sonic Adventure 2 which is actually like I would consider my first Sonic game the first Sonic game that I've played a significant portion of right. um, yeah I I guess like the reason why I, I think Sonic's so important to me is that you know it, it was kind of this cross between you know fun colorful scrimbo bimbo platformer with you know, Mario like characters in this case, they're woodland creatures, but you know what I mean? Like they're, they're very mascot esque in design, but they, there's also kind of, you know, what a, a eight year old would perceive as a more complicated story, whether it's, a well written one or not is like, you know, <laughs> it's certainly complicated. It's certainly complicated, but you know, it, it's kind of like, um, people who grew up watching Gundam wing and like, you know, they thought it was a lot better than it actually is shots fired. Hey, <laughs> 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 i'm really just uh burning a lot of bridges today i feel like <laughs> so i i guess like sonic adventure is important because it, it really kind of activated that hunger for something that was more complex i guess it would be the right word even if i don't think sonic adventure 2's decent story is told particularly well or is comp- particularly compelling um there's there was a mystique around it that really again like captures captures a child's imagination yeah Uh, and i think i think that's arguably more important than it being a good or bad story
0: yeah like i don't think it has a particularly good story but the fact like the fact that it is a game that invites you to play through it from multiple points of view Mm -hmm. is cool and was like at the time kind of novel
1: yeah i would say so I'm, I'm sure there's going to be someone Sir. who's like, well, actually.
0: <laughs> yeah, like, I'm not saying it's the first game to have ever done that, but it was certainly the first Sonic game to do that.
1: <laughs> yeah, Sonic Adventure and Sonic Adventure 2. Oh, also, uh, and I'm, I'm going to make this quick because I have a decent amount of games left. Uh, don't worry, I'm not going to go super in-depth on all of them. No, no worries. Um, I'm enjoying hearing you talk, so. <laughs> oh, I'm happy to hear that. So I think the, the fascinating thing about Sonic as well is um, Sonic has, like, a lot of different continuities. And being a kid and like, you know, maybe reading an issue of the Archie comics in my discount drug mark here and (laughs) watching an episode of uh, Sonic Sat M there and, you know, watching, renting the Sonic OVA multiple times from my local video store there. And then also Sonic Adventure having a completely different continuity over there. Um, And it's just... <laughs> but I, I think the, the cool thing is that like this was before Wikipedia. Um so it's not like I knew that these were separate continuities. Yeah. And there was something really charming about like just trying to fill in the blanks on all right, why are Sonic and Tails with all these other characters in the Saturday morning cartoon and why are they traveling alone in the OVA and trying to like create like a narrative bridge that justifies that? I don't know. I I always um I, I think back on like what my fake understanding of the Sonic canon and Sonic continuity was as a kid, and right. I <laughs> honestly I think I made a better story as a child than what Sega has <laughs> been doing for the last thirty years. because um, Sonic X is kind of like a, a soft reboot. They they made that show to be like, all right, people who are getting into Sonic now that it is on Nintendo consoles, this is kind of everything you need to know about the story uh ignore the freedom fighters uh sure mobius <laughs> exists whatever fuck you we're in station square now though uh but no i i, I don't know I, I think that was fun and uh again that's that's kind of something i enjoy about sonic um so i'm gonna i'm gonna gloss over this one real quick but um talking about sonic adventure 2 and that need for like scrimbo Bimblow but with more pathos <laughs> Uh, <laughs> That's my favorite chapter of uh, Aristotle's Poetics oh, Shut the fuck up <laughs> <laughs> I, I got a PS2 to play uh, Jack 2 specifically <laughs> God yes Because I, I played that at a friend's house And having the scrimbo bimblo Zelda-like elf man go I'm gonna kill Praxis <laughs> <laughs> Which might be one of the greatest first lines a character has ever uttered <laughs> um was uh you know it's kind of like oh this is like kind of darker and edgier like what's gonna happen will everything turn out all right um and of course it does because jack 2 not actually that dark of a game yeah it's and still story, a game for kids it's still it's, it's still ultimately a game for kids it's a it's a game for 10 year olds but it, it's oh. certainly a game for kids I had, no, I just I was going, oh, about it being a game for 10-year-olds. No, but it is, right? Yeah, like, no, I'm I'm fully I'm fully with you. Yeah, it it it's for uh it's a game for kids who who uh think they want Grand Theft Auto, but like, you know, need something a little bit more softer and more approachable. Uh What was so, it about
0: Jack 2 beyond lines like I'm gonna kill Praxis?
1: <laughs> well, okay, so you know, this this was the first time I ever saw a conflicted protagonist in a video game. I was a very sheltered kid. I feel like that's, you know, uh, important to uh, talk about. Like, my cousins would want to watch one of the R-rated movies my parents had in their collection, and I'd be like, no, we'll get in trouble. Um, that was the type <laughs> I, of kid I was. That's fair. I
0: was I was very much like that for a lot of my <laughs> childhood, too. Oh, man, no wonder we
1: get along so well. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, (laughs) but uh (laughs) sorry just nostalgic memories the uh yeah i i guess it's like he was a i don't want to say edgier but you know he he was a character who was he was an anti-hero right yeah um and this was before shadow the hedgehog came out and apparently uh the the lead director of most Sonic games uh actually was inspired by Jack 2 to make Shadow of the Hedgehog. I don't know if that's like a verified fact or if that's just hearsay, but I really want it to be true. Um <laughs> but I like yeah, no, I
0: I hmm. I choose to believe. That's my that's my me- new media headcanon. <laughs> <laughs> good, good.
1: Happy to hear it. Uh but yeah, no, I think just this idea of, like, can things go back to normal? Uh, you know, having, having this character who, for all intents and purposes, was basically just uh, the people behind Gra- Crash Bandicoot trying to make Link. <laughs> uh, like, th- that's, that's all Jack was in the first game. Taking that uh, and, like, giving him a character that was angry and kind of violent um, and edgy and... I don't know. I, I think I wanted to see that story through because I wanted to see if, you know, th- this wasn't how I would have phrased it as a kid, but like to to see if this character could heal from his trauma. Um yeah. was kind of the pull for me. Uh and I guess like, yeah, that that kind of ties into um becoming more invested in the arc of a story in a video game. Like, a video game where the character is more complex than Link or Sonic.
0: <laughs> yeah, and where the the hook is you know, character-driven rather than entirely, like, external plot-driven. Yeah. Because, boy um, howdy, most games... <laughs> like, this... Is, that's become less and less true in, like, recent years and recent AAA games, but, like, yeah. for a real long time, there was not a lot of uh, complex inner life for a, a character. pick up a
1: crowbar or something? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, like, at the end of the day, it's fucking Jack too, but... <laughs> Uh, you know, there was the promise of something there. Um, and so Jack 2 is going to lead me to Kingdom Hearts, which I'm actually not going to spend a lot of time on. I'm just mentioning Kingdom Hearts because that's what led me to Final Fantasy. Um, Right. We talked about that the other week, I think. Yes. Uh, cause like, you know, Kingdom Hearts had like this aesthetic that really, you know, um, I didn't, I didn't get a PS2 until like four years after Kingdom Hearts 1 came out. Uh, but you know seeing that commercial as a eight-year-old and being like this has like you know this has an anime aesthetic like the cartoons I watch on Toonami but uh, there's also Disney characters here which means that like it was a game that was rated E so it was a game that particularly caught my interest as an eight-year-old because I was not allowed to play T-rated games until the next year Um, I I guess Star Fox Adventures was uh, soft enough that My parents didn't have any qualms about getting it for me. So, yeah, uh, I I always had that kind of fascination and preoccupation with it. So I got Kingdom Hearts and rented it for a weekend and thought it was pretty cool. But, you know, I would see people talk about uh, this game, Final Fantasy, in, like, Nintendo Power magazines. um, And I would see, like, you know, people talk about it on Newgrounds, like, all these Newgrounds animations. Um, So... There was, again, like there was always this kind of mystique that surrounded Final Fantasy. And um, on a whim, literally on a whim, I uh, told my grandparents that I would buy them ice cream if they drove me to GameStop because there was a, there was a local ice cream parlor right next door. So that bribe worked. Um, and I, I went into <laughs> uh, the game store and I picked up Final Fantasy X. And I distinctly remember there was like i i don't know how old he was but uh there was a, there was a, a black man so he looked kind of like me and he was he was definitely older than me i i don't know if he was in his 20s or if like being a kid just made me perceive him as much older than he actually was uh but like when i picked it off the shelf he's like that's a good game <laughs> and that was the first time i ever got external validation for my purchases <laughs> uh so of course i felt good about that um, and yeah, I, I put in Final Fantasy X and my I remember my jaw dropped just like looking at uh, the opening scene of Final Fantasy X is a bunch of characters crowded around a campfire in this wasteland as a somber piano melody plays. And I think that was most assuredly the first time I'd ever like been so invested in a story without anything having needed to be said it's it's a silent scene there's just a bunch of people crowded around the campfire there's a couple panning shots showing them kind of shuffling thinking about like the journey they've had so far um the main character puts a hand on the shoulder of his love interest and then he kind of leaves to like go up on a hill overlooking the wasteland and I don't know man I, I think I, I saw that and I was like oh this game is different different you know <laughs> um and I've never beaten Final Fantasy X I actually started a new game of it today oh <laughs> uh, really <on> my switch <laughs> yeah um I, I've, I've been feeling kind of nostalgic for it uh I, I got stuck first um like a third of the way into the game then I started over again after playing a few more Final Fantasy games and I got like super far into the late game but I just felt underleveled and I'm I'm, I'm taking an, another crack at it now maybe this will be the run right but you know, I, I was so enamored with Final Fantasy X that when Nintendo Power did an issue or did a did a story on the upcoming Game Boy Advance port of Final Fantasy IV, I knew I had to get it because A, like, it prominently featured the Yoshitaka Amino artwork, which I had never seen before at the time. God, and um rips beyond measure. <laughs> yeah, like that art is like beautiful. Um Final Fantasy, for people who don't know, Final Fantasy's 7 through 10 in particular have a very anime art style um the first six final fantasy games have this very storybook watercolor kind of ethereal um vibe to it 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 looks one of a kind people say yoshitaka amino and you know like if you know you know you know exactly what they're talking about i'm i'm still reeling from the fact that we now have magic cards with art by yoshitaka amino insane. <laughs> yeah. Like I'm so happy. But uh yeah no, Final Fantasy 4 I I read the story like I was super into Lord of the Rings and Star Wars and god knows Final Fantasy loves to homage both of those things. Oh yeah. Um, so Final Fantasy 10 intrigued me, but when I when I played Final Fantasy 4 on my Game Boy Advance, I was basically hooked. So then from there I start looking into uh it I I joined the Final Fantasy fandom on a internet forum. Um, which was really my first experience with fandom. Um, And surprisingly, um, the fandom... uh, I'm not going to say the fandom back then wasn't toxic, but uh, whoever was moderating these forums did a fucking bang-up job because I don't remember there being really any drama. That's impressive. (laughs) Yeah, like, of course, I could have also just been really young and like you know I, I wasn't going to like every page on the forum but I, I yeah just remember it being a generally pleasant place which is not something i can say about the final fantasy fan base yeah <laughs> <laughs> or you know most online most... fan
0: spaces
1: right right like i'm sure every fan base suffers from this but like man it feels like every Final Fantasy game has its slew of haters who have to let you know that the game you like is the wrong one. <laughs> it gets very exhausting.
0: Cause um, heaven forbid they just be glad that other people are also into
1: the thing that they're into. Right, well, but it's not the thing that I'm into. The thing that I'm into was done by this team in this specific time period mm. with this specific battle system, and I hate f- it. Final Final <laughs> Fantasy, <laughs> um, honestly, it's it's what it's kind of become. Uh, with the turn of the century, like ever since Final Fantasy X, it's been a lot more keen to experiment and like have multiple teams do their own unique take on the franchise and some people don't get that (laughs) and they want final fantasy to be the thing it was when they first picked up final fantasy (laughs) and i will reiterate as someone who started with final fantasy 10 um and has like very nostalgic memories of that as my first final fantasy game it is nowhere remotely close to my favorite game in the series (laughs) experiment be 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 bold. Question your tastes.
0: Yep. Try new things. Iterate on those things.
1: Challenge your expectations. Maybe look it's into okay the creative if things process. Things don't work out. <laughs> Learn how to emotionally resonate with things that don't make you feel like you're 12 years old. <laughs> <laughs> and that's and All, we've lost I to say all of our
0: listeners.
1: <laughs> how dare you? Oh no. <laughs>
0: How dare try. we imply gamers can try to be better.
1: <laughs> try the award-winning MMORPG. <laughs> <F-14>. <laughs> no, it's okay. You don't have to like FF14. I haven't gotten past 1.2 or 2.0 or whatever the fuck Around Reborn's called. But yeah. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I could go on and on about like, you know, Final Fantasy. But all I'll really say is I played Final Fantasy 12 as a kid and fucking hated it but we'll come back to Final Fantasy 12 because its story is not over. I will say that further down the road for my RPG journey, um I think I um, for my uh like 15th or 16th birthday, I bought Final Fantasy 13 and this PS1 RPG called Wild Arms, and those games could not be more different philosophically, <laughs> presentation-wise or like, you know, whatever. Um Final Fantasy 13 is kind of infamous for being so much about its story that it kind of super railroads the player um and like robs the player of a lot of agency for the first 20 to 30 hours um i i'm kind of curious about going back to it but like i don't think i ever will i i'm more interested in playing its sequels yeah i definitely remember i have not played a ton of
0: newer Final Fantasy games but I definitely remember hearing that uh it got a bad rap as
1: a hallway simulator yeah um which like you know maybe a bit of a childish pejorative but it's not entirely wrong there's there's cool stuff in in that game but like it, it suffers from really a, a troubled development I guess yeah is, is like the the bottom line but, you know, so that that's a game that's so much about its story that it railroads the player. Wild Arms, on the other hand, uh, is very Dragon Quest in story. Uh, it's Dragon Quest meets the back half of Final Fantasy VI, which means nothing to you, Chris, but kind of... Okay, so <laughs> we talked about Trigon. Uh, Wild Arms is like a Western-themed RPG where you play... It's like a halfway cross between like swords and sorcery and high fantasy, but also it's like a post-apocalyptic Western. Very cool game. Very dated game. It's, it's combat system is kind of basic. Uh, it's not a game I would say if, if you are into RPGs for the gameplay, uh, for like intricate battle systems and all that. I don't know if it'll quite have the sauce you're looking for there, but um, the, the emphasis that game put on exploration and having these Zelda like dungeon puzzles and really just kind of being more about like player agency on leaving it up to them to figure out how they get to the next dungeon or the next beat in the story. I think that really kind of opened my eyes and I started looking for experiences that value player agency a lot more. Um, yeah, But around around this time, I was also super getting into um, I, I had already played uh, Castlevania in. um in middle school uh so castlevania aria of sorrow is one of my favorite games but i think this like in high school that uh i was really starting to get into more action games and uh you know I, I this is when i started getting into devil may cry this is when i uh was getting into the metal gear solid series but also like um i was particularly getting into running metal gear solid uh seeing how quickly i could beat it seeing uh if i could beat it without getting caught finding trying to optimize and uh make myself more uh quick and efficient at the game this is when i was getting into super metroid all these uh more twitch heavy action games yeah Uh, maybe not twitch heavy like i wouldn't call super metroid twitch heavy but like they're games that are more about movement and technical uh play um, while also having, like, very atmospheric worlds and being about the story. So I want to talk about that. Uh, I don't want to just have this be me listing shit right now. <laughs> um, but I, I do feel like it's important for me to point out that, like, I don't exclusively play RPGs and, uh, and um, adventure games. Um,
0: <laughs> what do in you high mean? was
1: <laughs> Uh, so yeah, I guess this is when I, I really started to think, uh, a lot more about player agency and, um, yeah, I, I guess that's kind of what led to, uh, I, I think about the first episode of backstage gaming, where I talk about how games, um, use like score systems to kind of bring the character, the, the player into the character. Um, and I think that's where it really started. You know, Solid Snake is this super soldier, so I'm going to run through the game as quickly as possible without getting caught um, and try to get that ever elusive big boss rank. I never actually tried to do that because I would have driven myself crazy. I need but. to
0: just say that it's astonishing
1: to me that you can remember what the first episode of our show was about. Because uh, we were, uh, I just, I remember like, um, when we uh the, all the conversations we had in college about like video games and how they mechanically tell their stories um that was the energy we really went into the podcast with so i i'm like 99% sure um i feel 99% confident in saying that that was what our first episode was about uh i definitely remember talking about sonic because of course i did Yeah, and talking about <laughs> we how started Sonic's- as we meant to go on exactly um so <laughs> you know uh running levels learning the levels and you know optimization and how optimization can be a way of expressing that character yeah um so i i feel like that those are probably all the big ones like i could talk about sin and punishment but like i don't really have a way to fit it into uh this (laughs) conversation um yeah same with like there there's like a handful of games I wrote on here, but like the more I think about it, the less I feel like they are conducive to the conversation we're currently having so yeah uh i I think that's everything <laughs> i i I think it's so interesting uh
0: just like on a macro level that your the journey you chose to highlight at the very least was very much one of like increasing sort of i don't want to say increasing immersion, but like increasing sort of internal internality i don't know if that's yeah. a word but so like... i
1: think the I, I phrased it this way um while talking about rpgs with a friend who doesn't enjoy playing jrpgs um i think there there's something to be said about the fiction of a video game and when i when i say fiction i think about like the levels the environments the more diegetic puzzles that some video games can have you know, even something as like simple as uh, what your character's move says about the character. Yeah, I um, mean, see.
0: We we've had an I believe an entire episode of discussion on that in fighting games.
1: Mm-hmm, absolutely. <laughs> um, and I think, yeah, I guess uh, the the more I play video games now, the more I'm I'm I play them with regards to my own agency as a player. Uh, but when I think about like all the steps that led me to that point, it was all about um, it started with me kind of looking at video games as like a fictional space and then looking at myself as a character inhabiting that fictional space and then looking at the NPCs and how they bring that fictional space to life. And it it just kind of um, snowballs from there. Um, and like the not only uh, the increasing Sophistication of video games as fictional spaces, but my um increasingly more sophisticated understanding of what stories um are and how games can express those stories and sometimes you're like Final Fantasy X, where like the the biggest way that story is conveyed is through cutscenes and you know um there's a very clear divide in an RPG between. Gameplay and story, ninety nine percent of the time, I would say. Like sometimes you have battles that do like characterize the villain you're fighting or whatever. That's certainly there. Dragon Quest is really good at that. But I guess it's like through my life, like there were different genres that I would go to that emphasize different elements of the fiction of a video game differently. And yeah, yeah, um, I guess like that's that's kind of what I wanted to focus on because I think that's kind of what's always drawn me to video games. Yeah, absolutely Um, yeah
0: i i very much agree and i'm i'm thinking about now the degree to which uh brain (laughs) the degree to which uh tunic really kind Mm -hmm. of encapsulates that like the the culmination of that sort of interest curve that you've had with games and and
1: explains why that was such a huge like
0: for both of us yeah yeah just
1: (laughs) uh like that hunger you know (laughs) yeah i feel like instruction manuals were also kind of important to me uh not just as like you know not just the little story blurb and character blurbs but also just like looking at all the screenshots and being like what kind of world lies within you know like yeah uh, yeah that that kind of intrigue and wanting to see more absolutely this is
0: i had a great time i hope that you the audience had a great time time. listening to this uh, like I said, I didn't do much of an interviewing thing because I—that's not a skill set I have, I possess. But maybe I'll look into that. Maybe I'll—I don't know—talk to my wife who used to work as a reporter and get some <laughs> some tips um, <laughs> before we have a guest or anyone on. But I hope that you enjoyed this. Next week, I'll I'll do my best to have as co- cohesive a journey as Dylan just provided. And until then, why don't we go ahead and sign off? I think that's yeah, mine I think small. that's what we wanted to do. I hope you enjoyed listening. If you did, please remember to, I don't know, leave a review, leave a rating, tell your friends, tell your family. Uh, remember reminder that you can find our show wherever you get your podcast, whether that's through Apple Podcasts, Google Pod, the Google Play Store, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever your podcatcher of choice is. And you can find out more about our show by going to back, uh, bsgpod.com. That's where you'll find info about us, info about the show, a contact form if you want to reach out to us directly, all that kind of stuff. You can also Hit us up on social media. Hey, Dylan, how
1: would they do that? Yeah, if you want to find us on social media, you can find us on Facebook and on Twitter, where our handle is at BSG underscore cast. Um, Also, if you want to uh, talk to us, uh, talk about us, uh uh-oh, or, you know, what have you, uh, we greatly appreciate it when you use the hashtag BSGpod. gets a little bit more eyes on us, um, and that's always nice. We love the horrifying ordeal of being known. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> also a uh, huge thanks to our friend brennan french for the key art he has provided our show if you dig his stuff you can check out him out on his squarespace at brennan-french.squarespace.com that is b-r-e-n-n-e-n-hyphen-french.squarespace.com you can also find him on instagram.com slash brennan french arts or on his twitter at brennan underscore french you should also go check out our friend Bioquery. He's the musician behind our
0: theme song, Dot Sound Radio Volume 1, Instrumentality. And you can find out all more about him and find all of his music by going to soundcloud.com slash bioquery. That's soundcloud.com slash B-I-O-Q-U-E-R-Y. Or by searching for Bioquery on Spotify. Thanks, as always, to the HP Video Game Podcast Network for having us on the network. If you want to find more of their great podcasts about video games, you can go to Twitter at HPVGPodNetwork. And thank you to our patrons for sponsoring our show, for helping us make this show without losing any money on things like web hosting fees. It really does mean the world to us that we have the support that we do. And if you want to support the show directly, Patreon is a great way to do that. That's patreon.com slash bsgpod. I think that'll do it for us for this week. We'll be back in a couple of weeks to, while I stumble through my gaming history. <laughs> and until then, take care, everybody. See you.